This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. It's Fourth Estate, the show where journalists talk journalism. I'm Marilyn Hetrelees. Coming up, fake news. To what extent did it influence the outcome of the US election? Plus, Trump's Aussie mates band together for a new panel show on Sky News that will take aim at inner-city lefties. And is the ABC racist? Aboriginal leader Noel Pearson thinks so, and a former ABC chairman said the ABC, The Guardian Australia, SBS and Fairfax are all racist too. Joining me in the studio from the Sydney Morning Herald is Patrick Begley. Hi, Patrick. Hi. And on the line from Brisbane's 98.9 FM, we have Amy McQuire. Hi, Amy. Hi, how are you? Thanks. And joining us on the line is political editor of the New Daily, Quentin Dempster. How are you, Quentin? Good, Marilyn. Good to hear. Well, let's get started. In the week leading up to voting day, five of the most liked and shared articles on Facebook about the US election were fake. Stories about Pope Francis endorsing Trump or Hillary Clinton selling weapons to ISIS. Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg has said claims his social media platform could have influenced the election are pretty crazy. A report emerged last week that said a renegade group of more than dozens of Facebook employees had formed an internal task force kept secret from upper management to try to address the issue. Twitter and Google are also under fire for giving a platform to fake and misleading news stories, with Google saying it's working on a policy to keep its ads off fake news sites. Quentin, what do you think? Is it really crazy to think that viral fake news could influence the election? No, it's not, because, uh, Marilyn, half the population of the United States now get their news from social media, uh, and Facebook's uh, the biggest uh, platform. So... um, these these fake news sites are devilishly clever because some of the some of the, their great satirical stuff and there's uh, anarchic, uh, but it's also uh, false and can be character assassinating and uh, very damaging uh, to the messages of the the main players in the in the U.S. election. And uh, so the fact that Mark Zuckerberg has had to address it now with a with a statement to all Facebook users indicates that he now acknowledges there's a problem of distortion. And it took him a while to do that. It did, it, uh, a few days, but uh, it became apparent that uh, uh, from Donald Trump's point of view that uh, his campaign was heavily reliant on the on the disinformation, which is really propaganda, the disinformation campaign through, through social media. It's just part of the digital revolution. And uh, although I, I love the digital revolution, it empowers a lot of people and a lot of voiceless people 
can get their material up and seen uh, against the, the corporate media, it also has a downside in that uh, this phenomenon of, uh, of disinformation. Patrick, if an algorithm can't distinguish a fact from a lie, as we've seen with Facebook, do you think it's time they employed an editorial team? Well, it's not so long ago that Facebook was copying flack for having this kind of internal editorial direction. People found out that Facebook was having its news articles essentially curated by this editorial team and people were thinking, well, why should Facebook decide what I see? And yet now we seem to be getting the complete inverse as a criticism. So I do think that Facebook is damned if it does, damned if it doesn't when it comes to this. Either it's seen as being too neutral and it's not taking any responsibility for its content or it's seen as having this interventionist, and not just interventionist, but sensorial role because mm. to promote some news is to you know, not promote other news. So I think that Facebook's in a really tough situation. I know that one way we've seen fake news um, producers bypass editorial standards is by creating images with text overlaid so that way it's classified as an image, not an article. But it's these sort of punchy and short images that get shared the most. So I don't know what the answer is for Facebook. No, it's the memification of news. And I think it just makes things one step further, uh, one step more difficult for Facebook. Amy, fake news writer Paul Horner told the Washington Post that he thinks Trump is in the White House because of him. He says the reason Trump got elected is because people are dumber and nobody fact checks anymore. Do you agree with that? I mean, I think people, I don't think people are dumber. I think people don't fact check, but I think we really have gotten the media we deserve. And I think it's a bit narcissistic for him to say that, which is similar to Trump's own personality. But I also think that um, it might be a bit of a symptom as well. I think people do gravitate towards articles that are more likely to confirm their already held viewpoints. Um, And I think if you are already very um, reluctant to believe what's in the media, and I think that's a very um, valid uh, point of view because, I mean, the media lies to us all the time, I think you will search out those alternative viewpoints. And I'd be very hesitant for Facebook to be involved in any more curation um, or have an editorial team because I just worry about what would that mean for inter- in independent and alternative media, which is actually the reason, I mean, it uses Facebook as a very powerful tool to s- disseminate alternative viewpoints. So, yeah, I think it's very narcissistic for him to view that, but I think it was the media as a whole that helped elect um, Donald Trump. They gave him a lot of airplay at expense of other candidates, um, and I think they just completely missed it. They completely missed what was happening in their own backyard. Mm. Amy, I... I... I agree that it's difficult in, in an editorial sense. Who would want to censor anybody? We're all, uh, as journalists, in, uh, fortunate enough to be in Australia. We're all supporters of freedom of speech from everybody. But uh, where the distortion goes, for example, uh, to get people to disengage in the United States, uh, they don't have compulsory voting there. Uh, mm-hmm. You really want to try to motivate people to become engaged. And we need more research in the U.S. experience of how many people disengaged as a consequence of disinformation, uh, where they say, well, I'm, ju- I'm just not going to bother to turn up. Uh, that's, a, that's a real difficulty for a good functioning democracy. And I know the Australian Communications and Media Authority has been looking at the phenomenon. We're lucky here. We've got compulsory voting. So no matter what happens, you've got you to turn yeah. up or you'll get fined. What effect do you think, this is open to anyone, um, what effect do you think the echo chamber of social media is having on political discourse and how it's changing? I think who's, in, who's going to have a go at that one? I think Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I think that it, it's become popular to blame social media for this kind of echo chamber, but that ignores the fact that for a long time now, media has been divided along partisan lines, and it means that we have multiple echo chambers already in the print media and television media. So I think that social media gets a very bad rap. In in some ways, it's less of an echo chamber because simply more people have that opportunity to engage. I know that, for instance, Twitter, it doesn't have that many members in Australia. It hasn't had the take-up that it, it might have seen. And when you see, for instance, certain Labor politicians involved in some minor scandals suddenly tw- trending on Twitter, you know that it's a pretty select group of people that are on that platform. But I, I think we can't ignore the fact that partisanship is really creating echo chambers in itself. What do you think about that, Quentin? It's confirmation bias. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you friend people who are, who, whose views you share. Uh, you follow people on Twitter uh, because you think, well, that, that's going to be good. Sometimes I, I follow people who <laughs> I don't personally uh, particularly want to uh, uh, follow, but it's important for me as a journalist to understand uh, all viewpoints and uh, leave myself open to it. But if I was an ordinary consumer, you'd say, well, I don't want to, I don't want to engage with that sort of material. So it is confirmation bias, and uh, we're going to have to watch it uh, in coming years because the the uh, access to uh, internet telephony, internet-enabled telephony is almost universal, including in third world countries. It's becoming universal. Everybody's going to have a smartphone, uh, not just in first world countries. So it's, uh, it's going to be a phenomenon from, from now on. One of these fake news stories about um, an anti-Trump protester getting paid 3500 US dollars was picked up by Trump's campaign manager and shared on Trump's Facebook page. Um, it was satire. Should we be pointing the finger at the satirist or the campaign manager who used the article knowing it would confirm the confirmation bias of loyal supporters? Amy? Oh, I think definitely at the campaign manager. It's amazing that he thought it was appropriate to share an article like that. But mm. um, I think there is a problem with satirical news sites sometimes. I mean, I've personally had a bad experience with them where they've actually racially vilified my brother. So it seems that they seem immune from basic journalistic standards of, you know, journalistic ethics, I think. And I think, um, yeah, that has to be something that's taken taken to fore because they are part of the media and they, they can be quite influential as well. So I think it's a bit of both, but I'm actually a bit um, amazed that they thought it was appropriate to share something like that on a um, campaign page. But again, that's um, that seemed to be Donald Trump's strategy mm. all along, really. There was no accountability at all. But it is on Facebook hard to tell what's fake and what's not. How can yeah. readers make sure they're distinguishing facts from the fiction, especially when it all looks the same on their Facebook feed? Yeah, I have no idea. I mean, <laughs> you would think because I see people sharing things that are so obviously fake all the time. I mean, I saw an article being shared around that um, Donald Trump had grown up and was born in Afghanistan and people were sharing it around as if it was fact. And I was just amazed at that. Um, I think maybe it speaks to people's willingness to, to want to believe anything and just share. Well, I think a lot of the time people just read the headline as well I don't think people actually engage a lot because we have so much content now we have so much coming out with the 24-7 news cycle I think a lot of people just read headlines and share I don't think they think much about what it actually might be doing to the wider discourse at all You're listening to Fourth Estate. You're with me, Marilyn Hetrilis, and I'm speaking to Quentin Dempster, Amy McGuire, and Patrick Begley. 
On election day, former Labor leader Mark Latham, former Howard government frontbencher Ross Cameron, and Spectator magazine editor Rowan Dean hosted a US election party called Trump's Aussie Mates. Now Trump's Aussie mates have teamed up for a new Sky News panel show called Outsiders, a counter to the ABC's Insiders, which Latham reckons is out of touch, inner city and leftist. It's starting in December. Um, Outsiders will air on Sky News just after the ABC's Insiders. Patrick, why do you think the trio is so fixated on countering the ABC? Well, as, as you say, the the ABC in the eyes of these people is that bastion of leftism, and it's a leftism that's informed by inner city values. But, I mean, I don't know what Mark Latham would do if he didn't live in Western Sydney, because that's about his only claim to being an outsider. And, I mean, these people would have to be the most inside outsiders exist that exist. You've just gone through their credentials mm. before. These people are only outsiders within a media elite, so they can't have it both ways. <laughs> Amy, do you think three white men, all regulars on national news programs, all in high-ranking jobs, can really call themselves outsiders? Oh, definitely not. I mean, they're part of the status quo. They're part of the people who we see every day on the media. And I mean, on Sky News as well, they have so many programs run by right-winged white men. I mean, you basically turn it on and that's all of their programming. So I don't see how this is any different. And I just, they have seem to have this victim complex but this, that they seem they aren't being listened to. But the fact is that Australia is moving on um, and countering that really... Um, conservative viewpoint, um, and really, a lot of the time, really bigoted viewpoints. Um, and that's what they seem to be up in arms about, the fact that they can't say the things they want without being significantly challenged by significant, you know, people who don't always, ha- haven't historically had um, their voices uh, amplified before. And they seem to be a big backlash against this from this. So I think they have a complete victim complex, but they're definitely not outsiders. I mean, I mean, Mark Latham was going to be our Prime Minister potentially at one point. Mm. So how can he be an outsider? And Cameron did say that it only required two conversations and one email and it took less than 24 hours to get this show running. <laughs> so if that's possible, isn't that the definition of, being an, definition of being an insider? Oh, most definitely. And I actually think it's really strange um, even for the ABC to have a show called Insiders. I don't think journalists should strive to be insiders a lot of the time. I mean, you should always be trying to report on those in power. I think it's strange to have that um, in itself, because they're all, you know, they're all um, trying to get as close to power as possible. And really, that's the opposite of what journalists should be doing. Um, but they're definitely not insiders. I definitely agree. And terms like outsiders and elite are a couple of Trump's favourites. Quentin, what do these words actually mean? Oh, well, they're provocative um, uh, if you uh, feel guilty about being part of them. And uh, it's meant to get to, it's populism, basically. I don't think we should be too upset about it in the sense that, uh, of a free speech uh, country and if Sky News wants to run these these provocateurs, <laughs> they'll get an audience because that's what shock jockery is all about. I mean, uh, uh, TUE um, and uh, Alan Jones and Ray Hadley, uh, they're, uh, they're great uh, exponents of, uh, of uh, prejudicial reporting uh, and commentary and uh, they get an audience. And there's, there's, once you can deliver the audience, you've got the advertising revenue. So uh, I'm sure Sky has looked at that. You know, they've got Peter Credlin, uh, they've got uh, uh, Bronnie Bishop. Anybody who's a provocateur uh, can be very entertaining. So there's, there's elements of showbiz uh, about it. Uh, the the only, uh, and I know we'll talk about the ABC shortly, but the only thing is that 
uh, in news organisations, in the newsroom at TUE or Fairfax or, or News Corporation or the ABC, you need strong editorial leadership to say, these are the, these are the news judgment values that we're imp- imposing here to inform the public about what is really going on. So there's news and then there's commentary uh, and then there's a more considered analysis. So that falls into the, into the commentary uh, circle. The insiders in the ABC's case have been uh, very successful in the sense that it has some very good journalistic insights. Uh, you have to sit through a lot of yap, but you get some very good journalistic insights from people who are very close to the action. And the contributions that journalists who are covering politics can make uh, because they are closer to it is, is, can be very beneficial and getting an understanding and an insight into what is what is uh, the political motivations and what's the factual basis for or the various political actions that are taken. And Latham's also said um, he's proud there is in this show absolutely no balance whatsoever. He said there's no gender balance. We're all white. We don't believe in things like gender balance. Uh, there was a time when this kind of bold-faced opinion would land public figures in hot water, but we're living in the Trump era now. So do you think the show is going to be a hit or... Should, the, should Sky News be more responsible about this sort of thing? Everybody will have a look, uh, look at it, and uh, if it's outrageous, it'll, it'll go viral, and, uh, uh, and they'll have some contrived fights and all the things to get the, uh, to get the blood running. So it, it'll be showbiz uh, uh, with a lot, of, uh, a lot of heat and not much light, I'd say. Amy, who do you think this silent majority in Australia is that Latham seems to be talking about? It seems to be mostly just white people. Because when they talk about the working class, all they care about is the white working class. So he seems to have this perception that it's only, you know, white people who matter. And then when minorities or Aboriginal people or, you know, refugees out there are um, a bit upset about what they're actually saying, that their right to not be offended doesn't trump the right of these other people. So I think he means largely just white Australia in keeping with the status quo. But I think it's just mostly about his own, almost his own narcissism and his own... Um, ego a lot of the time. When you look at a lot of his public commentary, it's always about him. Um, and he's attacked a lot of people based on just his own views and his own experience. And I think that's, you know, that's very shoddy as well. So, yeah, I think the silent majority is mostly white people that he thinks are in trouble for some reason, even though, you know, you've still got the country. Mm. And I think that the silent majority is a really convenient group to attach yourself to because, by definition, they're silent and you can then, therefore, speak on their behalf without <laughs> having them contradict you. That's true. Do you think, Patrick, that this is Latham on the road back to politics? I really don't think so. I think that Mark Latham is very happy. He has got media opportunities coming out of his ears, even as he loses some. And I think that he would much prefer to be outside the circus pouring scorn rather than putting himself back into it. And so, no, I don't see him going back to Canberra, no. And if he did use a show called Outsiders to get back inside the halls of power, that would be pretty ironic, I think. Indeed. <laughs> I, I think he's very happy in Western Sydney. I don't think anything could drag him away. You're listening to Fourth Estate. You're with me, Marilyn Hetrilles, and I'm speaking to Quentin Dempster, Amy McGuire, and Patrick Begley. In a speech at the launch of Troy Bramston's biography of former PM Paul Keating, 
Aboriginal leader Noel Pearson referred to the ABC as a spittoon's worth of perverse people willing the wretched to fail, a racist organisation eager to see Aboriginal people languish in poverty so they can report on their misery, incarceration and tragedy. As a conservative, Pearson believes that Aboriginal people shouldn't be given special treatment, that special treatment is racist. Amy, what do you think of Pearson's comments? Um, I think there might be a bit of a agenda there in some way from Pearson, and I think some of his comments um, justifying the racism and or explaining the racism that it's just um, ABC journalists wanting Aboriginal people to stay advantage were probably not wrong, but I do think that a lot of it is grounded in fact. I mean, I think that all Australian um, media outlets have a problem with institutionalised racism and sometimes outright racism when you're talking about outlets like The Australian. And I can give one example of the ABC. Is it just the reporting that led to the intervention, the Mudajuli stories? I mean, the ABC have never been held accountable for that. And that community felt severely demonised by the way they were treated. And it ultimately led to a 10-year policy, which was one of the most racist pieces of legislation in Australia's recent history and the ABC have never owned up to that so that to me is a clear case of institutionalised racism and the ABC refusing to own up to its racism and also the fact that it doesn't have any Aboriginal people in higher positions so um, you know they have cadetship programs they occasionally hire Aboriginal journalists there's a few journalists who have had long tenure there but for, for the most part, Aboriginal people don't have empowerment within the national broadcaster. They don't have empowerment to tell their own stories in the way that they should be told. Um, Aboriginal people aren't seen from positions of strength, and that's something that Noel Pearson was totally right about. But I think at the same time, he had his own agenda in attacking the ABC specifically. And what would you say to the ABC to do right now to improve its coverage of Indigenous affairs? Well, it's trying. I mean, it's put Stan Grant as its Indigenous Affairs editor for next um, next year. But at the same time, it really has to just start working more, you know, better with Aboriginal Aboriginal people and ensuring that when you have Aboriginal voices, they're not just seen as these poor victims or noble savages, you know, seen as people who, are, who have agency and have, have control over their lives, even though we are so disadvantaged. I mean, there's so many Aboriginal people doing amazing things all over the country and you don't really see that reflected um, in the ABC. And I think it should, could do better and I think this is a resources issue in doing regional journalism as well. I mean, there's so many amazing stories in regional centres of um, Aboriginal uh, people doing really well or, or working really hard on the ground and you don't hear those stories at all. You don't see that reflected at all um, in the ABC's reporting. So I think there's a lot of things they could do, but just start by listening and and take Pearson's comments on board as well. Um, don't just laugh them off. Did you read the ABC's nothing. statement? Yeah, yeah, I did. But Defending. I thought it was interesting talking about, you know, TV series. I mean, Redfern now has had a lot of criticism within Aboriginal communities as well. So I think they want to see blackfellas in a certain way. Um, it's very assimilationist, which I think there's a real problem with in relation to the TV series. But I think there's some parts where the ABC get it right and that it's important that we do have it. For example, the Dondale Four Corners story. But the other times I just I wish they they did better. And I think um, they do a big disservice considering they are our national broadcaster. Pearson added in the speech that many of Paul Keating's reforms on Aboriginal affairs had been wrecked by ignorant ministers and malign bureaucrats aided and abetted by the media, not least the country's miserable racist national broadcaster. What do you think about that, Quentin? Uh, well, it's hurtful and it's hateful and it's scorn and vitriol uh, rather than uh, a fact-based uh, critique. Uh, by all means, uh, we should go into uh, the late-line um, uh, reportage which led to the intervention. I take Amy's point that uh, there should be some 
historical references to that. But I think the sweep of the ABC's coverage, uh, particularly from the 1960s, uh, where Four Corners uh, went in and, uh, and exposed uh, genocidal institutional racism uh, in Australia, really uh, makes Pearson's uh, critique uh, unjustified. And he's he he's given he's given no uh, um, acknowledgement that the ABC helped to raise the consciousness of white Australia, white city Australia, about the, uh, the about the genocidal nature of uh, of racism, which led to black deaths in custody, uh, and it's an on that's, a, that's an ongoing story. Of your, of course, there's uh, there's coverage of uh, uh, of Still, the symptoms of uh, of dispossession and racism that uh, that occurs within our institutions, particularly the police, the policing practices of uh, uh, of indigenous communities. I was really trying to get a printout of all the positive stories that have, uh, have been uh, published right through regional radio, ABC television, in all its programs. Uh, there's stacks of them. There's stacks of them. And uh, I don't think Noel did, us, uh, uh, did his cause a, a, a service uh, by laying on so much scorn uh, and uh, vitriol to, uh, to his critique in this oration. Uh, it, it, it was uh, so distressing to a lot of ABC people who stuck their necks out uh, to report what was really happening and including uh, the entrepreneurship and the positive programs that go on. Amy, what do you think about that? Yeah, oh, I just um, I just think ABC people should be doing their job. I mean, I don't really care about their feelings in relation to Aboriginal affairs. I mean, well, they, they should be covering these sort they're, of... They're striving to do their jobs. Of course, the ABC is a flawed institution and it, uh, and it can make misjudgments. Uh, but I think the totality of its... Uh, I'm sorry, I'll shut up, Amy, you go on. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I mean, a misjudgment that can affect... Uh, uh, the most vulnerable people for the longest, for 10 years. I mean, 30,000 people in the NT and it's, it's gone over um, well, other states. The but how, the other thing the I find interesting... response to it. To what yeah, but Lateline was very complicit in that it and it was based on lies. I mean, the Moodajula report was based on slandering Aboriginal men as pedophiles when there wasn't one there in that community and that community still feels that. And I mean, to journalists, they may be completely far removed from the consequences of their reporting, but Aboriginal people feel it every day and they feel the consequences of that policy and they could have done better. I mean, that's what journalism is about, is holding the power to account. So they should have held, held John Howard's government to account in a lot better way and maybe we wouldn't have a 10-year intervention. And the other thing I find interesting is obviously Pearson does have an agenda. I mean, the ABC have been very supportive of his own quite paternalistic programs and failing programs in Cape York. I mean, Four Corners have done a couple of programs basically spinning um, support for Pearson. So I think a lot of it is based on that agenda. Um, and I think they have a problem with only selecting certain Aboriginal viewpoints. But I think it's not just a problem of the ABC. I think it's a problem of the Australian media as a whole. And I was very interested in the Australian coming out and News Limited coming out so forcefully because they're one of the biggest offenders as well. Um, so I think it's just a whole of media problem in not being able to report Aboriginal affairs, and it's a very complex area as well. I mean, I don't see the policy, you know, for example, community development program, um, which is so horrific and doing so much damaging, damage within Aboriginal communities right now. I've never seen that reported properly on the ABC. So there's also silences that they haven't been able to report 
Um, and I think it might be because of the complexity of the issue, but I think we just need journalists to stay in not just one story in two months, but we need dedicated Aboriginal affairs reporters in the ABC to be able to mm. do that and know which stories to cover. We're nearly out of time, but Patrick, do you have any final comments on how Australian media can improve the coverage of Indigenous affairs? I think perhaps the media needs to focus more on possible solutions. It wouldn't be doing its job if it didn't try to catalogue the problems that we have now, the extent of those problems, but perhaps in order to get away from the low expectations that I think are probably pretty common throughout the community, the media needs to take a more active role looking at what has worked so far, what has failed, and do more of a survey of of what we're trying to do to solve some of these problems. What about you, Amy? Any final comments? Oh, yeah. I just hope that they can start giving or showing um, or giving more of an avenue for Aboriginal people to and Aboriginal media people to actually progress and get into decision-making roles in the ABC and also to support a lot of young journalists coming up, which I think they do. Um, but I think a lot more blackfellas up in decision-making positions I think would be great. Well, thank you so much. That's it from us on Fourth Estate. Thanks to my guests, Quentin Dempster, Amy McGuire, and Patrick Begley. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the Fourth Estate podcast. My name's Marilyn Hetrilies. You can catch us at the same time next week.